Well, this week I am my own guest. I think we all should do that. We all should be our own guests and treat ourselves as if we were guests. This week I'm going to tell you about some plants that I've been growing and some plants that I've been sampling and some plants that are doing very well in the small kitchen window, which is kind of my my horticultural laboratory in New Jersey. When I was in California recently, visiting the garden of Brandon Tyson and Noel Gilligan, I met some wonderful fruits, I mean like citrus fruits. Some were familiar, for example the kefir lime, the leaves of which are used in Thai cooking and cocktails and other concoctions. The fruit of the kefir lime is kind of wrinkly and squat and not really good for eating. Another revelation were the bear's limes. Now there are two limes sold in grocery stores, the Mexican lime and the larger smooth bear's lime, B-E-A-R-S-S. Limes are picked before they're ripe and they're shipped and sold when their skins are green. And that's done to differentiate them from lemons, but if you could ripen a lime, for example that bear's lime, the uh, skin actually gets kind of pale greenish yellow and the flavor is more subtle and the fruits are fragrant and the flavor is a little floral. Uh, the flesh remains pale green on the inside but the smell of the fruit is heavenly and a bowl of them can fill a room with their perfume. When I buy limes at the grocery store, and this probably happens to you too, if you leave them out or if you put them in the refrigerator, they kind of shrivel and they get black spots and they don't ever really ripen. And I, I suppose, I'm guessing that that's because they're picked unripe and properly refrigerated and by the time we get them they may be a little aged. Now, I thought that all citrus originated in China and Southeast Asia. I, I know that people say that the citron, which you may see, or the etrog, another version of citron, uh, that's known to be from the Middle East, but I think that it actually originated also in Asia and then made its way to Persia, maybe on the old Silk Road, and then to the rest of the Middle East. And other citrus made their way around the world. They are among the earliest domesticated plants. The scores of orange colored fruits we think of as, you know, navels or tangerines or blood oranges or clementines are all varieties of only two different citrus, either oranges or mandarins, and it's pretty easy to tell which ones are which. I mean, the oranges are round and juicy, and the mandarins are ones like, well, mandarins and uh, clementines. And pretty much all the citrus we find in the markets are varieties. They're not wild fruits anymore. Grapefruits, for example, are hybrids. They're all hybrids. If you think about it, a seedless orange could not be grown from seed because there aren't any. They have to be propagated vegetatively, asexually from cuttings. The cuttings are usually grafted and that produces stronger, faster growing and earlier fruiting trees. Now although I thought all citrus were from Asia, it turns out that there are nearly a dozen wild Australian citrus species. And the real revelation sampled from the garden in Napa, California were fruits I'd never seen or even heard of before. Finger limes. Finger, like a finger on your hand. 
The taste of the finger line is tart, like a lime, but a bit sweeter and, well, delicious. I was amazed that I knew nothing about finger limes, never heard of them, never seen them, and that they weren't being grown and used as fancy garnishes in expensive restaurants in major cities, especially since there is a craze for anything new and unusual. The unique thing about finger limes is, is their vesicles. Now, you know, if you open a, an orange or a lemon and if you carefully peel a section, you can see the little, the little juice-filled chambers, cells, uh, within the pulp, and those are the vesicles. But in the finger limes, the vesicles are spherical and compressed and separate within the thin, leathery skin of these little sausage-shaped two to three-inch long fruits. When you cut them in half or snap them, you can actually snap them in half, the green to black fruit, uh, you take a half of that and you squeeze it, and hundreds, well, dozens and dozens of tiny vesicles will squeeze out. They sort of ooze out as you squeeze it. The vesicles are, are not like other citrus. They're completely separate and firm, and they remain as individual beads. You taste the fruit when you pop a bit of the beads in your mouth and you chew them, and they're incredibly crunchy. The nickname for finger limes is citrus caviar, and it's right on. It tastes, I mean, the texture is like fish eggs. The flavor is like lime. The finger lime, or Australian finger lime, Latin name is Citrus australassica, and it used to be microcitrus, and there are different microcitrus species in Australia. It was identified and cataloged during the early colonization of Australia as a potential commercial fruit. Samples of the fruit have been found uh, in the Kew Economic Botany Collection in the United Kingdom, dating back to 1895. The finger lime is found on the edges of the sub subtropical rainforests of northern New South Wales and southeastern Queensland, which is kind of south. So I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe they're almost hardy, but subtropical. They're not really hardy. They might be a little cold tolerant, which is good because some of the colder tolerant citrus make better houseplants. It grows naturally as a small, for a tree, shrubby understory tree and it grows somewhere between 10 to 15 feet. The plants bear fruit after many years or when they're stressed. However, if they're grafted to the right rootstock, the plants are transformed into commercially viable citrus plants that bear, just like other citrus plants. It's the same idea. If you sow a seed, if you find a seed in a citrus plant, and you sow it, it will come up, but it could take 20 years for the plant to flower and bear fruit if it ever does. The finger limes have a wide genetic diversity, and not only are the fruit different shapes a little bit, uh, and different sizes and colors, and even tastes, but in Australia, Different colors of the vesicles of those little beads are available, but there's many varieties and the, they've made selections. So there are ones that are pale green, almost yellow, the flesh, and some are pink and even dark pink. And the grafted varieties 
fruit earlier than trees in the wild and as I said they have much more fruit and they're widely av available but in the US there are only a few suppliers who grow these fruits and ship them fresh uh, for a few months during the fall so what's the next step for me of course trying to find and grow an Australian finger lime tree now, when I was in California, I saw one plant at a nursery in Berkeley, California, at Berkeley Horticultural Nursery, but it was way too large for the overhead, I'm afraid. So I did find online a few sources for small grafted trees of one variety just listed as finger lime, and also a very nice looking patio tree, to my surprise, uh, and I bought one of each. The leaves are small, and like many citrus plants, the stems have thorns. Both of the trees that I got are grafted. One's a stick with one stem sticking out, and one is, as I said, this lovely patio tree, which is like a standard or a lollipop shape, and it's got a stem and a, a bushy top. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that these trees are grafted to dwarfing stock. That means the understock is from a dwarf a dwarf plant that's been bred and selected to be dwarf so that the plants will stay compact because everything I read about is these are these are shrubby messy thorny plants from the bush that uh, aren't going to be very attractive but in any event all these two plants will have to be pruned or it's a good idea anyway the tips of each stem will be pruned and that'll encourage branching because you want as mu as many stems as possible that might produce as many flowers as possible and as much fruit as possible and if I'm incredibly lucky in my lifetime so here's another get rich slows tip for anyone looking for one grow Australian finger limes to sell in the US and I'm not kidding if you if you sampled these or played with them or saw them I mean, they're incredible, and I, I this year I did get some from one of the sources in California, and I'll, I'll post a link on the website. And I took them around to friends, and everyone was just gaga amazed. But we couldn't e exactly find what to do with them except eat them fresh. We tried them on some smoked salmon, and it was fine, and the crunch is terrific, like fish eggs. But uh, it's more fun just to put some in your hand and, and pop them in your mouth. Okay, back to New Jersey. Now the kitchen window in New Jersey is my laboratory. And this is the place that, well, I can go every single day. I use the sink, the kitchen sink, and above the kitchen sink is a window. And there's more moisture in the air from the sink, so it's, it's better for the plants, although some of them are in open plastic bags for extra humidity. I've got some sown seeds there and many, many cuttings of various plants. That, I, that I've taken at various times and in various states or conditions of what we usually call wood, like softwood from a herbaceous plant like a begonia or some things that are really woody. Begonias don't actually get woody, but sometimes they get pretty old and fibrous and are much more difficult to root than, than a fresh, soft piece of tissue, best of all, from the summer. But now we're not in the summer, we're in winter. And most plants are hard to root when the tissues are older and the hours of daylight are short. But by January, things begin to change. 
well, the citrus plants that I do have that are grafted and older will form some flower buds in January and they'll be blooming in February and the fragrance will fill the sunroom. I love the citrus plants. I can't say that I'm all that good at keeping them going and I usually get like a, a fruit from a Meyer lemon and or maybe a, some inedible uh, odahite or calamondin oranges or I guess they're mandarins. Well, I keep the house in New Jersey in New Jersey really cold, around 59 degrees. And that low temperature also that just slows down rooting of almost everything. And and uh, a bit of heat, especially from below a pot, will encourage rooting. So you really want something warmer than 59 degrees. In fact, some plants will rot before they root in low temperatures. Now, plants of very hardy outdoor plants, like, uh, I mean, cuttings of plants of like boxwood, which are taken in August and root over winter, they'll be okay at the lower temperatures. Uh, hardy evergreens, they're fine at the lower temperatures. And those plants don't root very quickly. They usually take the entire winter. And in the case of, of both the plants taken in August uh, and later, the uh, I don't have any... Um, needle-leafed evergreens inside, but I do have some things that are like boxwood, uh, broadleaf evergreens. Uh, well, first they form a callus at the cut end, and then roots push through the calluses. And that takes usually the entire season. I'm so impatient, but I will try not to dig them up and look at them. The tropical plants, like begonias, ones with soft tissues, will root fairly quickly. Well, begonia in the summer could root in two weeks. In this time of year, in the winter, it could take five weeks uh, or longer, depending on the plant and depending on the age of the cutting. If it's a small cutting with just about maybe three or four leaf nodes, and I'll do that either in perlite, moistened perlite, or even in water if I want to see what's going on, that will still root fairly quickly, but much slower at 59 degrees. Uh, on that one windowsill, on, uh, well, on one windowsill of the four-paned window, I have a really small electric propagation mat, or it's like a heating pad, that stays around 70 degrees Fahrenheit, and that really encourages rooting. So the most strange and difficult and precious and rare plants sit on that part of the windowsill, which is only about 18 inches long and three inches wide. That's the size of the mat too. It's very low wattage and just stays at 70 degrees. But those precious things have a much better chance with a little bit of bottom heat and everything happens much faster. And also the medium tends to dry out faster than in the other three panes. And there are altogether two shelves of the window. It's, I'm, I'll describe the, little, the window a little bit better in a minute. Last spring, I grew about a dozen polonia plants from seeds that I collected in Brooklyn for a friend of mine who is desperate to grow this plant. Well, to grow the plant the way I do. Polonia, or empress tree, is an invasive weed in some areas. It's, it's actually hard to find for sale because who wants a weed? But it makes a great cutback plant. And by that, it's a, it's a kind of a plant that you can cut back. I cut mine back nearly to the ground, 
uh, in about March, and then later around May, a few shoots appear. One, and it will grow 15 feet in one season with leaves up to two feet across. The, the normal tree, if you don't cut it back, grows fast, but not that fast, and the leaves aren't that large. Uh, it kind of looks like a catalpa, if you know what that is like. Um, it, it's really, it's like the original Jack and the Beanstalk plant, because 15 feet in one summer. Since I cut it back, it doesn't produce flowers or fruit filled with thousands of seeds that are what those are the things that get around. Uh, they float around and they become the invasive plants. In Japan, the wood of this plant is prized for making boxes uh, with special religious significance. And there are actually some some places in the south where people are trying to grow it, grow this tree to harvest, to sell to the Japanese. But mine, I'm, I'm just cutting it back, and that's what my friend wants to do, too. In a way, it's kind of not so swell that I don't have the flowers. I, I have to let them go, but they are, they're really beautiful. They look like upside-down wisteria racemes. The, they're upright, and actually, if you've ever seen catalpa, they're a lot like the white catalpa flowers, but they're purple. They look They really look like wisteria upside down which is kind of right side up they don't hang they go straight up uh, but these plants even though they look like wisteria and catalpa are not related to those plants they're those plants are in the pea family they're legumes and uh, the polonia is not and it's kind of surprising that even though these trees grow so fast and so huge they have little pods and inside the pods there are thousands of tiny, tiny seeds about the size of a grain of sand. And each of those seeds is encased in an oval wafer-like coat. Now, I read all about I, all that I could online and uh, other sources on how to germinate these seeds. They need light to germinate, they need warmth to germinate, and they need constant moisture. So keeping seeds in the light with moisture is a bit of a challenge. I found a source that recommended mixing the seeds with dehydrated mashed potato flakes. Wild. The flakes are sterile, they absorb water, and they're kind of translucent. So I did a lot of experiments. I did some of the seeds on grit, chicken grit, uh, sprinkled on top of some sewing medium in a pot. I did mix some with the potato flakes and then sprinkled those on top of chicken grit in a pot of sewing medium. And believe it or not, the seeds mixed with the flakes on the surface of the pot of the sewing medium came up. It worked. But after a short time, the nutrition in the potato flakes uh, as I suspected, started to mold, and this, most of the seedlings croaked. The ones that I did, uh, sprinkling a few seeds over the chicken grit and letting them sort of find their way into the crevices, so they're still close to the surface, surface and I was very careful to keep them hydrated. Uh, I, put, I slipped the pot of medium with the grit on top and the seeds into an open plastic uh, sandwich bag, and keeping the humidity up and then I actually clipped the bag to a, a light with a reflector so they were in constant light and uh, about 18 hours a day and also warmth from the light 
And I read someplace that if you refrigerate the dry fruits, just the pods, that the seeds come up faster. Well, pretty much everything worked, but I couldn't keep the seedlings alive until I sowed some later in the season around March. And then they came up and then by then there was plenty of light and a little more warmth and the seedlings thrived. And I ended up with about a dozen six inch tall plants and then it was winter. So how was I going to keep these plants alive through the winter? Uh, they're not super hardy in my New Jersey climate, so I couldn't have buried the pots outdoors or even planted them in the garden at, at their young age. And I don't currently have a cold frame, which would have been exactly what I need needed because they I do did want them to get cold, but not really cold. So I left them outside until we had a frost and they didn't look good. They looked kind of dead. I brought them inside to the sunroom, the floor of the sunroom, which is very cool. And frankly, I, I couldn't wait. So of the 12, at the end of December, I brought two of the fattest seedlings to the kitchen window. And they look like dead twigs, pretty much. In just a couple of weeks, green buds appeared about an inch up the stem of one of the plants. And that lower part of the so-called dead twig was a little bit juicier, a little fatter, and uh, it was alive. And the buds formed about that one inch up on the first leaf node. And uh, just like the cutback tree outside, there seemed to be dormant buds in the stem that will make this year's growth. I'm I'll try to remember sometime to catch you up on the progress and success of the polonia trees. I'm, I have my doubts. It's been kind of a challenge. And uh, I, I just heard from a friend that there seems to be a source for another species somewhere where I can get just one plant, and I might do that. But, you know, if I get challenged, it's uh, I'm off and running. That's the problem. So I'm trying to root a lot of other things in the windows, too. I have my myothacella Bupleroides, a genus of only one species, that's an umbilifer, and that's like a, like fennel or wild carrot. The feathery leaves are broad and large and smell a bit like celery if they're bruised. The flowers are very large for an umbilifer, it's like gigantic, and they look like Helleborus fetidus, if you've ever seen that. So there's multiple flowers. It, it, well, it's like a group of almost gray-green bells with black centers. They're absolutely beautiful. I have a little butterwort plant, Pinguicula gigantea, and that's a carnivorous plant with soft light green leaves and wonderful magenta flowers. Small insects stick to the leaves and are digested for food for these semi-aquatic plants that come for, from environments that have poor nutrition. Some Pinguicula species go dormant if the temperatures are too low, so this one's on the heat mat too. Uh, other plants in the window that's about four feet wide and 30 inches tall with two shelves are a variegated philodendron that's white and green with white and green leaves, a lovely variegated hoya that looks like it's spattered with all different colors, a couple of pelargoniums, outdoor geraniums, uh, one of my Nicotiana hybrids with black flowers that I've propagated from a root cutting, 
begonia stained glass with leaves that have translucent sections and colors and it really looks like stained glass the sunlight just comes through the parts of the leaves that are translucent i have some chlorophyta macrophyllum seedlings that's a spider plant that doesn't make any runners but the parent has wonderful variegation an orange base to sort of grass green leaves and i'm hoping that seedlings are true that they come true and also have that orange at the base there is a succulent oxalis that grows into a little tree a serapigia woodii variegata string of pearls a rosary vine this one has variegated leaves that are white and pink and mottled gray green the plant makes little tubers along its wiry stems which gives it the common name of rosary vine there are more begonias, a few Thai hybrid crown of thorns, those are new euphorbias with giant flowers, and some seeds of rare plants I'm hoping to germinate. All of this in that west-facing window with only two shelves. Join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.